is Danny Heinemann. I'm the campus minister for RUF at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I'm sitting here with... Kelsey Sullivan. I am Danny's intern here at UW-Madison, and we're here to talk about... Church history. Church history. Kind of, yeah. We don't really know. We're kind of still figuring it out what this podcast is even going to be about, but um, we're coming together with my curiosity in... um, topics in church history and the gospel itself and Danny's passion and expertise in the subject. So we're making a podcast because there's a global pandemic on and we can't meet with people in person. And so we're having to get creative and uh, we just figured that this would be uh, one of several ways that we could, I don't know, get in contact with people Mm -hmm. and have a little bit of fun. But before we get into all that kind of stuff, um, things have been kind of crazy. Students are gone. The city feels kind of dead. Mm-hmm. How are Our you jobs look very different. Our jobs are way, way, way different. Uh, how, how are you doing? How are you holding up? Uh, I'm doing surprisingly well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you and I have been together since we found out about the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, we were sitting, working. Uh, all Our staff team was together when we heard from the students that school is canceled yeah, and you know the plague is coming for us. The storm is in the distance and we could see it coming. And so I've gone through a range of emotions from fearful panicky i went to the store and i bought beans and tuna you know that type of emotion and now beans and tuna yeah (laughs) i don't think i'm gonna eat either of those but that's what i bought (laughs) in a panic and now i'm at this other emotion you know it's been a week where things have been different and i think i'm rejoicing where i am that's that's what the emotion that i'm having is a sense of rejoicing because i'm feeling like this is a trial that is increasing my dependency and faith Mm -hmm. i don't know if you feel this way but just like the way that the pandemic has come it's sort of like humbled us out of our work out of our idols and sort of has forced us to reckon with ourselves Mm -hmm. Um, yeah i feel like i mean probably personally i was working at an unsustainable pace but then i just feel like i don't really know this is maybe like to taking it too far but i do feel like there was the like culture of unsustainability going on that has like been stopped in its tracks right um even just like environmentally and economically like the i'm not an expert in um natural ecologies but i I did see that the like the air pollution in several chinese cities has been reduced by like enormous percentages i don't know it's just like all that it just feels like there's been a there's been a halt Um, right and that's it's been really terrible and negative for some people and it is because of a pandemic. And so it's not something that we should like celebrate. Right. I do think there are some, there's some effects that this is causing that, um, I think will be helpful. Yeah. It's been helpful for me at least. Some silver linings. Yeah. 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 That's a better way of putting it. I think one thing that I have noticed is I was an athlete, right? And one of the things that was hard for me a when I was an athlete. athlete, I was a heptathlete, yes, yep. I did many things. But uh, one of the things that was hard for me was when I was injured. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like the whole human race right now is, is kind of going through yeah. an injury. And as an athlete, when you're injured, you can't do your sport. Right now with this pandemic, like none of us can do the things that we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're being called to sort of die to ourselves. And the unique experience of this pandemic is that we're not just an athlete suffering alone. It's like the entire human race is collectively suffering together as a team. Um, I've never had that as an athlete. So I think that that is kind of what's causing this rejoicing in me is because I think that God is at work always. Yeah, I agree. I think the things that we 
at least personally speaking, the things that I tend to distract myself with uh, have been harder to use because we don't have, like, we just can't go anywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a lot easier for me to kind of, like, focus in on the things that I actually think are important, like being a good dad, being a good husband, which are basically the two main things that I should be doing, you mm-hmm. know? And so I feel similar. Like, it's it's in some ways it's made it really hard for me to focus, but in some other ways it's, it's helped me focus in on the things that I think are that are more important, that are easy to forget about when you've got all kinds of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about theology and context, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, that's kind of as, uh, <laughs> as detailed as we've got it right now. Um, but one of the things that we really want to do uh, in our time together and for whoever's listening is um, take things that we are experiencing or thinking about or asking questions about and reflect on them in biblical and historical context. So that means we'll talk about the Bible uh, and we'll talk about history mm-hmm. um, and see if those two things can kind of fill out the picture for us, help us to understand. Between the times and yeah, how yeah, the two yeah. connect, yeah, yeah. how the one is informed the other. Right. I think that looking at church history, it's like a global story yep. um, of how the world has become today. And there's a lot of really important things that can be learned from looking at church history, such as, you know, even protecting us from error in the future. So like how we respond during a pandemic. Yeah, totally. And, we don't um, have, yeah, it's like we don't have to, we're not the f- in almost no sense are we the first people to be asking the questions that we're asking. Right. Right. So there's always, there's always some resource that we can go to to help us think through these kind of things. Yeah, because, I mean, we're in the midst of writing history right now. Like yeah. we are, there's a story being written about our times. Um, and so I think that what motivated this podcast is how has the church responded in the past to things like a crisis and a pandemic? And what was the response and like what was the, like how has that affected how we're living today? Yeah, like shape the world that we live in. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the most overloaded hospitals in New York right now is Presbyterian Hospital, right? Like, where did that come from? You know, the big, the big hospital in Indianapolis when I was growing up was uh, Methodist Hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, and here, here we've got St. Mary's and Mercy, right? Those are all tied to the history of, actually tied to <laughs> pandemics. Right, um, and the compassion of Christians yeah. during those times. Yeah, to set up places to bring in the sick. Hopefully that's what we're going to be able to get into together. And uh, it will be profitable for us, and hopefully we can all learn something together as we reflect on these kind of things. Because we are in the middle of one of these pandemics, I just wanted to ask you the question, what, if anything, does Christianity have to say about this? Interesting question. <laughs> there is an answer for that. Um, and the way that, I, that we want to break it down uh, together, like we said, is reflect on things biblically and historically. So... First, biblically, I mean, there are like plagues in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are famines in the Bible and all that kind of thing. Um, but, but I think in general, the crisis that is brought upon us by something like a pandemic is, the, is suffering, like the question of suffering, right? Yeah, it sort of intensifies the natural course of life. Yes. And our sense of um, sort of morality and fatality. Yeah, yeah, totally. One of my friends was saying the other day that his highs are higher and his lows are lower right. these days. And in, in the Bible, we come to the Bible from all different kinds of places. Some people have a lot of experience with it. Some people have no experience with it. Um, some people have ideas about it that are more or less true <laughs> about what it actually says. But when you actually read the Bible, the Bible has a ton of suffering in it. Mm-hmm. Like people are always suffering. 
That's uh, sort of the part of being a Christian. Yeah, totally. And the whole story is really like set off because of uh, the problem of sin and the and the effects of sin that then are applied and carried out in in everything. So like our our physical bodies, our uh, spiritual life. Our, our natural ecologies. It says that even creation was subjected mm-hmm. to the curse of sin. We are afraid of each other. We're afraid of God. We, we can't build systems that to like help our cities function better without then hurting somebody else. Like, oh, this, this is massive matrix of suffering that sin introduces into the world. Mm-hmm. And a plague um, is a pretty good example of that. And a plague is a really good example of that. And you see how rapidly it affects yeah. and destroys and, and actually even kills. Yeah, right. So I think if we're thinking about this biblically, there are a few. There, so you can you can say the whole Bible is about suffering in one sense, um, or there's suffering present in the whole Bible. But if you want to go someplace like really specifically, I think the first place you should always go is the Psalms. If you know me, then you'll probably know that I will point you to the Psalms pretty frequently. Um, but that is where you can hear the voice of the people of God dealing with suffering in a really vivid way, in a really poetic way, in a really beautiful way, and it's like. I mean, the staff, the three of us on the staff read the Psalms, or we were, when we could get together. When we could meet. Yeah, we would read through the Psalms every day, not the whole thing. We'd pick one or read half of one or whatever. And one of the things we noticed together was, like, how depressing they are, (laughs) at least at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, and this is one of the great things about the Bible, is that it's not trying to make you believe the world is different than it actually is, right? And And the world is full of glory, full of beauty, full of joy, and all those kind of things, but it's... It's like there's a shadow that hangs over it all, a mm-hmm. shadow of suffering that is harder and harder to ignore when you're in a situation like this. Right. But it is sort of looking back, because that's a reality that we live in, is is the condition of sin and, you know, a, like a plague, for example. Mm-hmm. But then looking back at the history of it and seeing, and this is the importance of church history, is like seeing God's rescue of people over yeah. and over and over yeah, and over works, again. And totally. you see that throughout the whole Bible from the Old Testament, which can be hard to understand. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the Old Testament for why it was written by the people who wrote it, it is a story that tells of God's rescue of his people. Yeah. And that's sort of what we're doing here, talking about church history. Yeah. And if you want, I mean, you can, so the Old Testament, there's a lot of stuff about it there. If you jump into the New Testament, there's plenty about suffering in the New Testament too. Um, First Peter is basically a letter written to exile Christians. We don't know a ton about it, but it's it's about people who are not where they're from and who are not understood. And it's all about like bearing up together to to grow in faith. Yeah, right. right. And like how to live in that context. That's why it's one of my favorite letters because it feels really applicable right now. But then I think the overarching ethical guide or like the the matrix or the paradigm of how to live at all times, but especially in the time of the pandemic, is um, is the way of love. In John 13, when Jesus says, he washes his disciples' feet, and he says, "You got, I want you, I want my disciples to love one another, and then extend that love out into the world the way that I've loved you, which is like, I've given myself up for you. Mm-hmm. So that's like, the, that's like the ethical paradigm, biblically speaking. What about historically speaking? Yeah. How is this this way of love, yeah, yeah. like how has the church carried this out and how has that influenced sort of the world we live in today and how we respond to things like a plague? Yeah. Well, it hasn't done it perfectly. I mean, there are there are a lot of stories about Christians not embodying this right. ethic. It's kind of looking at church history as being honest, too, about yeah. some of the errors the church has made. That's right. I mean, the Crusades are like the thing that everybody points to. 
that should not be minimized in any way. Like they were a great, grand mistake, mm-hmm. in my opinion. There are people that will maybe argue against that, but specifically with pandemics, it's really actually really interesting. That there are a few really interesting things about it. A few, a few crazy things about it. Uh, the first thing that's crazy is that in almost, I'm in a lot of writing on church history, uh, the role of Christian response to plague has not been a huge piece of the of the story that the church's historians really? have have told. But I, I think it was like in the late '90s, a guy named Rodney Stark wrote a book. Who's a sociologist, and uh, but he's also a Christian. And he started. He wanted to apply some of the tools of sociology to try to understand, you know, humanly speaking, how Christianity went from this like strange small group of people, this like offshoot of Judaism in first century Palestine, uh, to this like global mm-hmm. movement. And one of the things that he points to as being like absolutely critical to its growth in the early centuries was Christians' response to pandemics, mm-hmm. which is really fascinating. Correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. I believe he said it had like an explosive factor in yeah. like the growth of the church. Yeah, yeah. Well, part of it was it the way. So uh, the the basic narrative is that Christians stayed when other people left. Mm. That was the basic thing. Um, but they also they had stronger social ties to one another, which. You know, like your emotional, social life has a lot to do with your physical health. And that that actually, that goes, that falls right in line with the Christian theology of what it means to be a human. Is that you're a, you can't separate out soul and body. You're this like intertwined reality. Mm-hmm. And so we should expect that our like emotional health is going to impact our physical health. But so there, so interestingly, there was this like in higher percentage of Christians that survived the plagues, at least in the second, third centuries. Yeah. Do you um, think that's because of, like, a robust hope that Christians yeah, have? I mean, I think that's probably part of it. Christian theology can give an account of suffering that I think is more robust than mm-hmm. anything I know of. And so it's not, it doesn't feel as, like, utterly overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Or it shouldn't. Sometimes it does. I just thought of, this is sort of a tangent, but I just thought of this experiment that I was told of one time where they took a rat and they put it in a test tube and... The rat didn't know how long it was going to be in there, and it swam for about two minutes, and then it died. Hmm. Where there was another rat that was put in a test tube, and it swam for about two minutes, and it, right before it was about to die, they took it out, mm-hmm. and they put it back in. And the rat stayed alive for, like, a week swimming afterwards. Around. Swimming around afterwards. Whoa. But it's so, I think that's, that kind yeah. of goes to, like, the hope... Yeah. That Christians have because it, our our story is a rescue story, mm-hmm. and so if we're gonna get through hard times, it's like we are sort of like that route. Like we know that God has rescued us in the past from such things like this. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it makes sense that they would be more resilient during. Yeah, that's these a really that's a really vivid illustration. Good for that rat. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think about that rat. That's a crazy. I'm, I'm going through hard times. That's crazy. All right, so so just some historical info. Like here's here's what happened in the early centuries of the church. So second century. So I'll give you some more context. Jesus was around 30, you know, he died around 33 AD. Okay. And the last apostle, right? The, he gathered 12 guys, one of them whom betrayed him. He got another one and then he got Paul. So there's kind of 13. And the apostles are the people that represent Jesus. Yeah. So the, after he died and came back from the dead, ascended into heaven, he sent out these apostles to go carry the message from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth, right? That's what he says. And so they go and do that, and that's where we get their letters and accounts of what they did is most of the New Testament. 
the, the last, book of Acts, right? The That's like Acts, all the early yep, church. Tells that story. Uh, yeah, the book of Acts is like a church history, a proto-church history. The last disciple to die was John, or apostle, disciples, apostles, same thing. And he died around 100 AD. Okay, so 165 AD, a really, really serious plague broke out in the Roman Empire. What plague was that? I think, I mean, we don't know exactly what disease it was, but from what I have read, it it was something similar uh, potentially to Ebola. Okay. It's some of the symptoms that are described in some of the texts are similar to Ebola, which is like horrifying. Um, they also didn't have germ theory back then, so they didn't really understand how these things were transmitted. And the estimates are between 25 and 33%, or between a quarter and a third of all the, the inhabitants, the citizens in the Roman Empire died, which is crazy. I mean, if if 33% of the, of, the, of the U.S. dies, we've got 100 million people dying. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of freaking people. So that was a major plague. And in that plague, people noticed that Christians stuck around mm-hmm. and that Christians uh, embodied this, like, uh, this, this posture of love towards the suffering. Um, it wasn't, they weren't, I mean, some of them, I'm sure, like, fled cities and did that kind of thing, but... Um, there was a noticeable percentage of Christians who stuck around um, and who tended to the sick. And a lot of them died because of it. Yeah. So that happened in this, this first, like, you know, the second century of the church, right? Or the second century AD. That was, and it was 15 years of plague. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine being it's been stuck two, in it's COVID-19 been two weeks. for 15 years? <laughs> it's been two weeks of plague. <laughs> I think all three of my roommates have cried at least like yeah. once every day for yeah. the last two weeks. So Yeah. I mean, just like imagine the, the amount of human suffering that is going on in that situation. And it is hard to even deal with. About 100 years later... Mm-hmm. A similar thing happened. I, they think I think this one. I might be I might get, be getting these mixed up, but I think the one in the two hundreds, which is to say the third century, is between two fifty one and two sixty two. Uh, another plague broke out, and we think it was probably the measles. Is that the plague of Cyprian? Cyprian, yeah. Cyprian. Well, it was a plague when Cyprian was around. So okay. Cyprian was a bishop of Carthage. I'm pretty sure. But there was about five thousand people dying a day from that. Yeah, at the height of it, five thousand people a day in Rome were dying a day That's in a Rome. Lot. I mean, the cities back then were not, not that big, you know, like, so it's a huge percentage of the people in Rome dying. Um, and uh, Stark, Rodney Stark, the guy we were talking about, he actually, he points to Cyprian, uh, who's a bishop in Carthage, which is a city on the northern, the southern side of the Mediterranean, the north of Africa. Um, it's like coastal city. And then a guy named Dionysius. Uh, both of them were bishops. And... Um, they, both of them uh, had some things to say. So Cyprian was this guy who's really famous for writing a letter. And he, he, sent, he sent a letter that we actually still have that I'm going to read a little bit of here uh, because it's really amazing. He wrote it during Easter. so he, it's, it's pretty suiting. It's coming up. Yeah, Easter's coming up. So just you can kind of maybe place yourself in this situation. So he said, um, he said what should a, a Christian people do? a people whose very name was derived from faith. The contributions of Christians during a plague, right? The contributions are always distributed then according to the degree of men in their respective ranks. Many who, on the score of poverty, could not make any show of wealth, so many poor people, they showed far more than wealth as they made up by personal labor and offering dearer than all the riches of the world. Thus, the good was done to all men and not merely to the household of faith. So richly did the works overflow. 
So he's talking about, he's writing this pastoral letter to his people, encouraging them to take up this heritage, this Christian heritage of sticking around Mm -hmm. during the plague. There's another guy, another um, writer back then, and his name is Eusebius. And he, he wasn't a bishop, he was like a church history historian. Okay. So he wrote the first church history that we have. It's called Ecclesiastical History. Okay. Um, you can read it online for free, but it's like a pretty famous text. And he kind of embellishes some things. So he's like super pro-emperor. So you kind of have to think about that when you're reading. But this is what he said about Christian conduct uh, during the plague in the early 4th century, which happened... In between 308 and 313. So there's another one that happened. It's like every 70, 80 years, there was a plague that swept through. You're pretty lucky that we haven't had that. Yes. So he said, he's talking of the Christians during this period. He said, Then did they show themselves to the non-Christians in the clearest light, for the Christians were the only people who amid such terrible ills showed their fellow feeling, showed their fellow, like their fellow man, showed their fellow feeling and humanity by their actions. Day by day, someone busied themselves with attending to the dead, and burying them, for there were numbers to whom no one else paid any any heed. Like, people were dying, and there were just bodies mm. laying around. And Christians were the ones that went out right. and cleaned them up. Because the reaction of our flesh is to want to, like, run. self-preserve and yeah. run. Like, we want to seek refuge in our homes, away from other people, and self-preserve. Where, what it sounds like you're saying is, these people in the early church, they really took up the responsibility to self-sacrifice. Yeah, they were embodying and, that biblical ethic of jesus yeah 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 exactly and he he, eusebius goes on and he says others gathered in one spot all who were afflicted by hunger throughout the whole city and gave bread to them all when this became known people glorified the christians god and convinced by the very facts confessed the christians alone were truly pious and religious so eusebius talks about what they did they took care of sick bodies they fed hungry people Mm -hmm. and then it was a dramatic enough act that there were people who converted because mm-hmm. of it. Right, so were, they're, they're, they were embodying the way of love, like you said at the beginning. Um, and in that, they were testifying for the faith. That's right. So, but today might be a little different though, right? Because we do have germs, like we know germ yeah. science, and we know um, that maybe the way of love is actually not being um, a vessel to carry the disease forward. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So... Yeah, I mean, I think you can think about it. Like, when I was first thinking about it, I was like, well, maybe should we not honor the Christians who died? Like, they maybe may have contributed to the spread of the disease, right? Mm-hmm. Which may be true, may not be true. We don't, I mean, I'm sure it was true in some respect. But they didn't, I mean, nobody knew. And people. somebody had to take care of all the dead bodies mm-hmm. and feed people, you know. I think applying that, like, biblical ethic of love and the kind of historical impulse of Christians to stay where they are. Like Luther kind of said that when there was another play. Right. Martin Luther, who's Luther's, a reformer. Yeah, his own daughter died yeah. because they stayed. Yeah, and that, you know, it's it's tricky when you have a family, mm-hmm. right? I think my first vocation is not to serve RUF, but it's to serve my family. And so mm-hmm. I, I'd, be, I'd be interested to have a conversation with Luther about how he felt about his decision mm-hmm. after his daughter died. But in general, the like normal response is to stay and like stay at your post as a Christian, but that can take different shapes. And I think one of the things that a lot of Christians have realized right now, and one of the things that we have expressly said in the way that we're going to be doing ministry, and but it's not just us, it's a lot of people, is that we are attempting to embody this posture of love by not being around mm-hmm. other people. 
for this because the thing that we are concerned about right now is not necessarily like COVID nineteen is not going to have the same death rate because of because of the illness itself that something like Ebola would have had. But like you've probably seen on the internet, it's like overwhelming our healthcare system. Yeah, and because people of are that, suffering. people yeah. will die. Right. And so the act of love for us is to adhere <laughs> to the social distancing recommendations yeah. and um, you know do what we can to support the people who are impacted economically uh, and all that kind of thing. And I, I, I actually do think that that is a consistent application of the biblical principle. And the posture is sort of the same. Same it's, posture. Because it is regarding the other por- other person as more important than yourself. Yeah. So whether you're going right. and caring for the sick and like contracting the disease or dying to yourself and staying inside your home, like both of those things is a, you know, you're valuing the other person's life above your own. Right, right. Even if your own is staying in your home and doing nothing. That's right. Um, it's like, you know, missing out on your spring break as right. a senior you have in to college. Cancel your trip. It's just like... Or summer what, conference or for us. Or summer conference for us, which sucks. But that's what love requires mm-hmm. of us. Because it's not, it's not about us. And even statistically for this disease, it's like... You know, the three of us on the RUF staff team are pretty unlikely to be really dramatically affected by it. Like, we'll probably get sick. Some people have died and that kind of mm-hmm. thing in our age range. But it's more about making sure the hospital beds are open for the older people mm-hmm. who will go in and need ventilators and ER equipment and all that kind of thing. And the reports that we're hearing out of New York are, are pretty devastating. Um, I read one from a doctor the other day who was on the ground in, e- in the Ebola outbreak back in 2014 or whenever it was. And he said he's more scared of what's going on right now because Ebola, like you get Ebola and it kills you fast. Right. This sort of like a slow death. Yeah. Yeah, And it may may not kill you. You may not even feel it, Mm -hmm. you know, but the scale of the, you know, number of people that have it is the thing that's really dangerous. And so for us to embody this kind of historical, this like heritage that the church has of, at its best, right? Mm-hmm. It's the church isn't plenty of terrible things, but this, this, uh, this heritage that we have, when the church has been at its best in a time of crisis like a pandemic, it has been fundamentally ordered around this ethic of love mm-hmm. and working for the sake of their neighbor. I think another way that we as Christians today could respond, or two ways. One is resisting fear, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that when we're in a, a sense of crisis, like. Another way, not only our love for others um, is a testimony, but like our posture as we move through a storm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think about Jesus in the boat when there's a storm and they wake him up and he's just like, oh, no big deal. Like he just shuts it down. It's like there is a sense of calm and peace that we can have as Christians as we go through this and we can model that yeah. to the world. And the other thing is just like kind of what I said at the early part of the podcast, like rejoicing in the circumstances. I know that that's like, that's something we're commanded to do is mm-hmm. rejoice in, in all circumstances and pray for everything. And so the the three things that I would say, like three concrete practical takeaways mm-hmm. is kind of what you said, like embracing the posture of love and self, self-sacrifice. self Like stay at home. Yes, stay at <laughs> home. Rejoicing in where we are and mm-hmm. looking at the history and knowing God will bring us through it. And this is the trial of our faith. And then lastly, like resisting that fear and panic and Try not looking at the news every day, right? Like I, think that's, um, I don't or, know if I'm doing a very good job of that. Someone said, like, read your Bible more than you read the newspaper. 
Uh, and just trying to be present and, and trust God through a storm like this. Let it let it shape us and shape where the church goes. And mm-hmm. um, hopefully, you know, people will look back at how we Christians responded during this time years from now yeah. and yeah, be able right. to see us as Christ ambassadors yeah. during COVID-19. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening to our podcast and tuning in. Um, Hopefully you'll join us next week when we cover another topic in church history.